Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. it. It's called Jesus and We, and it is all about the the concept that a lot of people talk about their relationship with Christ as a personal relationship, and it really is, but that seems to be where a lot of us stop. It's just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and me or Jesus and I, And, and that's great, but God never intended for you to be a Christ follower on your own. Even in Jesus' initial group, he had 12 people, and then they grew from there. It was meant to be a we and not a Jesus and I. Why? Because when it's a we, we can do more together. We can accomplish more together. We can encourage each other. We can pray for one another. We can grow better when we do things together. And so the first week, we talked about having big faith and what that looks like as a church and what what a church that had big faith together would look like. The second week, we talked about the fact that we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. And these things that we're talking about are values of our church. If you've ever established uh, a business before, you understand that there are core values every business needs to have or every organization needs to have. And so these are our core values. These are part of what we value as a church, big faith, being spiritual contributors, not a church that is just consuming and taking. We want to be a church that is contributing because we are the church. This week, we're going to talk about one of the original values that started with this church that from day one we decided that we were going to identify and we were going to align ourselves with this value and that value is generosity. We decided that we were going to be a generous church because Acts 20, 35 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And how many of y'all want to be blessed, right? We like the first part of that thing. We, we want to be blessed, but give, we're like, well, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you've never been given $1,000 before, Aaron, because that's pretty awesome. You know what I'm saying? And actually, I have. It is pretty awesome. <laughs> it is really great. But it is blessed. It is more blessed to give. It's not that you aren't blessed to receive, but it's more blessed to give to receive. And so we focused on generosity. And generosity, to be, if, I, if I can be honest with you, I, I, we talked about the spiritual giftings that we had last week, and one of, your, one of your, the giftings that I identify with is, is a giver. I'm a, I'm a giver. In fact, in sixth grade, I went to a Christian school, and, and they wanted to honor not only your scores or your grades in class, but they wanted to honor who you were as an individual. And so I remember getting a certificate in sixth grade, and my, my spiritual gifting or the thing that they recognized the most was generous. That, that was me. They labeled me as generous. And so I've grown up understanding and being somebody who is generous, finding ways to give. I've, I enjoyed it. I remember in that sixth grade, I just remember hearing when people need something, it just kind of lights me up inside. Like, I can take care of that, and I can take care of it quietly, right? I remember my sixth grade teacher, Ruth Ann Myers, she was, I don't know if you guys remember or if you grew up in Christendom like I did, but I, I grew up uh, listening to Christian music, and there was this singer called Carmen. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Oh, okay, so there's a few of you. Okay, so Carmen, Carmen Wright wrote these epic Christian ballads. Like, I think that's the way to describe them. And, um, and, and I loved his music, and I was listening to it, and I heard my teacher say when she's like, I really love Carmen. So I went home, I spent my allowance money, and I bought cassette tapes because that's how old I am. <laughs> and I bought cassette tapes, and then I took our vinyl records off the shelf because that's how old I am. 
And I recorded from vinyl to cassette tape all of Carmen's albums that we had in the house. And I brought them to my teacher and I gave them to her. I love I loved to be a giver. I enjoy that feeling. I love to make room and space in my life to give. And so it's, it's part of who I am in my life. I, I've, I've bought cars over the years and, and, and twice in my life when I'm, I've gone to move on to my next car, not because the car was broken, I've given away the car. It was perfectly fine. I've given it away. I've loved to do that. Blessed my younger brother with his first car by doing it. It feels great. I didn't even consider the fact that I could take that car and trade it in and pay less for the next car, right? That's what smart people do. But me, I don't even consider that. I don't even consider the fact that I could have had more. I just wanted to be a blessing. And so generosity is something I've grown up understanding. It, but it was a gift that was placed into me. It was also demonstrated by my parents. But not everybody can say that they grew up that way. Not everybody can say that they saw that modeled and so they lived that life that way. Because my parents were very, very generous people. They continue to be generous people who look for opportunities and ways to bless. My mom's standing right there. She just walked in. Everybody point at her and stare. There she is. But, the, but, my, but my mom and dad, and my dad's right here, they modeled, they modeled that, that, that generosity for me. And so it was in me. I would tell you the only time in my life that I didn't, didn't live a life that was generous was when, I, as an adult, I was offended by God's people and I walked away. And I changed my whole life, my whole attitude, my whole outlook on being generous changed. But as a young man and through most of my life, I never worried about having enough. But I think a lot of us do, though. I think we all worry about having enough. It's this mindset, this scarcity mindset that we have. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, identifies two different mindsets that I think it's, it's worthy of your attention. He identifies a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. The scarcity mindset says there's never enough. There's never going to be enough for me, but the abundance mindset says there's always more. There's always going to be more. And he says that, that these two people live their lives very different ways, especially when it comes to what they give or how they invest or, or how they are generous. Let's imagine it this way. You've got a pumpkin pie with Cool Whip, of course. And if you are a scarcity mindset guy, if I were to cut a quarter of the pie and serve it to someone else, you begin to get anxious. Like, is there going to be enough left for me? A quarter of the pie is just gone. Is there going to be enough left for me? Yes, there's, a, there's three quarters left. But you begin to get anxious. And I'm not going to ask you if you're going to identify. You've already identified yourself. Yeah, that's me. That's totally me. Piece, piece of that pie is gone, and I am in, instantly in sweats. Am I going to get it? Others of you, if you've got an abundance mindset, a half of the pie can be gone, and you're not stressed. You know why? Because we can always make another pie. And why wouldn't we? It's pumpkin pie with Cool Whip. But I think many of us have a scarcity kind of mindset. And I think that, that scarcity mindset keeps us from giving. It keeps us from being generous. A lot of us that have this kind of mindset, you understand this, that there is a safe way to give. And this is the way you choose to give more often. It's a concept called regifting. You ever heard of this before? Anybody know what this is? This is the, the idea that I'm going to receive a gift that costs me nothing. And God has provided that for me, to me so that I can give it to someone else. Gift cards. Gift cards have paved the way for this to happen, right? For us to, to say, hey, I received a gift, and I'm going to give it to you. We don't tell the person we're regifting, right? We want to seem like rock stars. But let me tell you something. If you're going to do this, there are several rules to it. First of all, you may or may not want to put your name on the gift card when you give it to them. Second of all, you need to check the balance. Please. 
I received a gift card uh, a few months ago, and, uh, and I save for things whenever I'm going to buy them. I, I look at things, and I, I don't take it out of the general budget. I save up for things. And gift cards are one of those ways that I save, especially now that there's just Visa gift cards, right? You can kind of save them up together and go to any store you want. Well, I walked into Best Buy, grabbed my item. I was confident. I counted out my gift cards. I was solid. And I walked up there, and I said, swipe number one, swipe number two, swipe number three. And, sir, that'll be $30. I'm sorry, what? I have all these gift cards that'll cover it. No, no, no. Yeah, but that one's a $25 gift card. No, sir, I'm sorry. That one's $1.37. Somebody had re-gifted me a gift card with $1.37 on it. It said $25 on it. I don't know who that was because they didn't put their name on it. Why are you looking around the room like this? I don't know. It could have been one of you. But there are rules to that. I think these two different mindsets represent different, different uh, parts of our character. I think a scarcity mindset represents a lack of faith in God. Scarcity mindset that says there's not going to be enough for me doesn't trust him. What it does is it takes the focus off of who God is in his very nature. Because who is God? All things are possible with God. God is omnipotent. That means he has all power. We're talking about the God who flung the stars and the sun and the earth and the heavens all into their place with a word. But there's not going to be enough for me. Scarcity, that mindset, takes our focus off of God. And where does it place it? On ourselves. We know how hard we worked. We know how much time it took to earn the money, to get the things that we want or the things that we desire. We know what it takes in our own strength to obtain those things, and so we just focus on ourselves instead of focusing on who God is to provide our needs. But an abundance mindset says there's always more. It believes the verse that describes God in Ephesians. It says, now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. It believes that fully. And it grasps that idea and says, I can be generous. I can give. I can be okay with this. Because God's able. And because he loves me. So in order to talk about generosity today, I'm going to jump into 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 8. And uh, here's what's important about this, because we're diving into the middle of the book. Paul is writing a letter, and he's writing to the Corinthians. And what he's doing in this particular section of the book, he's describing to them a church that is in need, and it's the church that's in Jerusalem. And Paul is like me and like us, our team here, we're we're church planters. Paul went around and he would plant churches, and then he would walk away from them and watch them grow. And and so he had churches, he had a network all over the area, in different parts of the world. And so he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's like, hey, one of our churches is in trouble. They've got a financial need. But he didn't just write to them. He let all of his churches know about it. And one church in particular, the Macedonian church, responds to him. Now, here's what's what's interesting about the Macedonian church. They were particularly poor. They didn't have a lot of money. In fact, not only were they poor, but they were actually in need. They were in a dire situation. And Paul receives a gift from them. And here's what he has to say about this. And this is how he's trying to inspire the Corinthians, to develop this gift and the grace of giving, this this idea of generosity. So he says to them in verse 1, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, 
Now say those two things together in the same sentence and tell me they make sense. They're overflowing joy and they're extreme poverty. I don't know if you've ever been in extreme poverty before, but overflowing joy is not how I would describe somebody in the middle of extreme poverty, except that I know he's talking to Christ followers. He's talking to people who are confident in God's ability to meet their needs. He's talking to people that are confident in God. And they are overflowing with joy, not just because he's meeting their needs, but because of what he accomplished through Christ and gave to them as a gift. Their joy is overflowing. There's something much greater than what they're experiencing in this world now. There's heaven on the other side. This is the Macedonian church. This is why they can be overflowing with joy and have extreme poverty. This is their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Pause right there for a second. Ask yourself this question. When is the last time you gave towards a need that was up to where you were able and then beyond your ability? Where you gave, where it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to give because this is what I have in my budget. This is extra. But you gave to a place that would be considered sacrifice. It's convicting, isn't it? It's like, wow. You know, I usually give up to here where I'm comfortable. I usually help people where I'm comfortable, but there's a line that you can cross where you can give that makes you a little uncomfortable. It continues on and says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me. This is a church that is in massive poverty, and they are urgently pleading for the opportunity. No, the privilege is what they considered it to give to the need in Jerusalem. This is the Macedonian church. It seems so different than today, right? You have charitable organizations or churches. In order to get somebody to give, we have to come up with a gimmick, don't we? We have to come up with a way to get people to give. It's like, look, if you will send your love gift of $49.95, we will give you this little vial of water from the Red Sea or a prayer cloth. Or, or, the, charitable contrib- or the, the, the charity will say, look, if, you, if we'll sell you products, we'll do bake sales, we'll do anything so that we can earn your money. Or if you sign the pledge card for the next three years, we'll send you X. One of the coolest ones that I ever saw was this church. They were like, hey, if you'll give a $100 gift, we'll give you this sword. And it wasn't like little, a little lapel pin sword. Like they had those two, but, but they had like a legitimate sword. And I was like, that's awesome. I want that. But I ain't sending $100. Here's 20. I'll just give you 20. And they sent me the sword anyway. I still have it at my house. It was awesome. But we have to have gimmicks to, to get people to give. And here, the Macedonian church, this is on the opposite side. They're pleading for the opportunity. I can almost hear Paul saying, look, guys, you, you don't, this is not for you. This is for everybody else to give. You guys are kind of in need, and we recognize that. There is no need for you to give in the middle of this situation out of your poverty. You're already hurting, and yet they are pleading for the opportunity to give. It's it's very different. The verse continues on, and it says, and they exceeded, this is Paul talking about them, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, where? To the Lord. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. That giving was an act of grace in their lives. 
But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He wanted to stir up a desire in them, in that Corinthians church, to be generous. And so one of our values as a church is generosity, and we're going to say it this way. We will lead the way with irrational generosity. We truly believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's say it as a group. We will lead the way with irrational generosity. We truly believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. We want to establish and and clarify that we have a culture of irrational generosity around here. I experience it all the time, and I know there's tons of stories, but I'm going to share one of my own. My car recently broke down. There was something grinding on the front right side. It was a ball joint that went bad. I took it to get it checked out, and they they said, okay, it's going to be $1,600 to get that fixed, and then your brakes and rotors and all that need repaired as well, and uh, that's going to be an additional $800. And so I was sharing the stress of what was going on with my car with my men's group, and, and they said, ball joint? We can fix that. I said, really? So we went over, and I pulled into their garage, and sure enough, they could fix that. They could fix that, and, and in the end, this whole thing probably cost me $300 to get my car fixed. And during that time, there was, there was an, uh, an emergency in the family member's uh, world that was, go- that was fixing my car, and so uh, we knew it was going to be a couple days that before I could even get the car back, also because of a car part needed, and another one of the men's group guys stepped up and said, hey, I've got an extra car. Let me just bless you with that. I've got an extra car. Here, just take it. Take the keys. And I'm like, Really? Yeah, just take it. And so I, I was able to, for the next two weeks, be able to drive around somebody's car so I didn't have to get up in the morning and drive my wife to work and have to pick her up every day and have to go through the stress of that. He said, let me just be a blessing to you. This, it didn't make any sense to me. I've never had anybody loan me their car like that. I'd take care of myself. i go get a rental car. You know, I'm a big boy. This is, I got money in the bank. I can do this. But somebody stepped up and said, let me, let me just be a blessing to you. It's incredible to me. There's stories like that, story after story after story like that, not just towards me because I'm the guy standing up front, of how you love each other. I don't have all the time to share the stories of how you guys have demonstrated your love for one another, but this this culture of irrational generosity exists here, and I'm proud of it. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful to be part of a church that believes that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive because we believe that as Christ followers. So here's what I want to do today. If you're new to Simple Church or maybe, maybe you're, just, you're, just, you're just checking out things of what's going on here, I, I, I want to do this. The last couple weeks, if you haven't been here, we've been kind of rating ourselves and ranking ourselves, I guess, on a scale of 1 to 10, okay? And today, we're going to do the same. Now, this is not for me to know. This is for you to understand and have a baseline on yourself. We're going to rank your personal generosity. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being Jesus Christ. So none of you get to be Jesus. If you feel like Jesus and you, bark your, you, you decide to rank yourself a 10, you need to tell somebody so they can tell you you are not Jesus. The guy that's closest to looking like Jesus is Trevor, and Trevor knows he is not Jesus. Isn't that right, Trevor? He's got long hair and a beard. I love that guy. And then, and then on the opposite end of the scale is a one. And you are not a one because the one is the devil. If you rank yourself a one and you are the devil, please feel free to leave. Thank you. But here's how, here's how I want you to, to consider ranking yourself. I don't want you to rank yourself on the amount that you give. 
I, I don't want you to do that because to be perfectly honest with you, a dollar amount or the way that you give uh, may seem like a lot to someone else, but it's not a lot to you. So I don't want you to rank yourself on what you give. I want you to actually rank yourself on what you decide to keep. Seem fair? So I want you to decide. So let me just say this. So if you are, are somebody that attends here as, uh, and, and you regularly give, you're a tither, maybe you, uh, you, you have a desire and a plan to be generous and to give. Maybe you have a giving budget. You're generous with your skills. You're generous with your talents. You serve. You're somebody who gives on a regular basis. Maybe you're a seven or an eight or a nine. I'm not sure where you would fall there. Others of you, you'd say, you're, you're here today, and you say, Aaron, if you're being honest, I have a difficult time giving. I've got a scarcity mindset. I, I, I feel like I need to hold on so that there's enough for me. Maybe you're here, and you're mad that I'm even talking about money today. You just need to know Jesus talked about money quite often, and it's affected and impact on your heart. Maybe this is a sensitive topic for you. I know it would have been for me years ago if I hadn't experienced God's blessing in my life. But no matter where you fall on that scale, if, if you're feeling angry that I'm talking about this, maybe you're, you're lower on that scale. But either way, just be honest with yourself. It's not a number you have to share. Rank yourself now. Give yourself that number. Today, my hope is to encourage you, if you are a Christ follower, to engage in a life of generosity. And not just generosity, but irrationally, irrational generosity. Because I believe that it is possible to be generous and not be a Christian. I do believe that. There's a saying that goes that you can love or you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And the whole nature of a relationship with Christ is a response to his love, that we love him because he loved us first. So if you love Jesus and you are a Christ follower, I think it's impossible for you to do that without giving in some way. Our very lives are structured around our response to his irrational giving. What irrational giving is that? Well, John 3, 16. Come on, you guys know this verse. It's the most popular one ever. It says, for God so loved the world that he did what? That he, that he gave. And he gave in a way that was above and beyond anything that you and I could ever ask or think or expect from anyone else. He gave his son. His son paid a price, a penalty that we could not pay ourselves. And he gave us a reality that we could not earn ourselves. He gave in an irrational way. This is the, our God. And so we are to be urged to and encouraged to learn to become irrationally generous. Look at Isaiah 32.8. It says, but generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Generous people have a plan. If you have a desire to be generous, maybe you're shifting into a role. You're here in this day. You're, all right, how do I do that? You need a plan. You need to make a plan. You need to make margin in your world and in your life to be generous, right? Make a plan. Stand firm. Carve it out in your budget. Maybe set up an auto debit to whatever organization or in whatever way that you want to give. Set it up that way. Make a plan to be generous. Because look, stingy people, people that are all about themselves, that are all about getting and acquiring, they have a plan to acquire, don't they? Some of you know some stingy people. If you don't know any, it might be you. I'm just saying <laughs> but, but they make a plan, right? They, make, they have a plan on how they're going to acquire what it is that they want. I know for me personally, before I make a purchase of anything, I, I study it, I look it up on the internet, I find out reviews about it, I'll even go to the store and I handle the thing, and then I put it down and I walk away. And I don't really get far all the time, <laughs> sometimes I go right back to it, but other times I'll actually leave the store and I'll consider it. I make a plan, and once I've decided that I want it, I zoom in for the kill. 
I have a plan in place. This is what I do every single time. Every time. But for us to be generous, generous people have a plan to give. And this is so countercultural, isn't it? Because our culture tells us to consume, to get more stuff. It's about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about getting the newest and the latest and the best. That's what our culture pushes on us, that you don't have, that, that your reputation, that your image or, or who you are is ranked and rated on what you have. And that's just not true. It's just simply not true. Giving shouldn't be something that we do occasionally. Generous is who we should be. When I was a kid, I watched my mom and dad be generous. And I watched them regularly when they went to church write their check and drop an offering in the buckets at church. I grew, I grew up going to church, and so I watched this model. And I guess I really, didn't really have a problem with it. I can't tell you I completely understood what mom and dad were doing. I didn't have a problem with it until I became a teenager, and I developed this thing um, called an attitude, and um, I wanted to look hip. I wanted to look cool. I wanted to dress a certain way, and my parents had a budget in mind for how we were going to live our lives. In fact, they had a specific budget for school clothes for me as well, and, and for the year, it was this number, and you got to spend it here in this way because this is the way they were going to do it, and every year, my mom took me to J.C. Penney, and uh, we there's nothing wrong with J.C. Penney, don't get me, but, but, but J.C. Penney, they had the Arizona brand jeans, right? And so everything I had was Arizona, and, and I only had a problem with the amount of money mom and dad gave because it didn't allow for me to get, you know, Levi's silver tab or to have everything that American Eagle sold because that made sense. That was awesome. Those were great clothes. And so I, while, though I was well provided for, I had this thing in my head that name brands mattered. And so I had a problem with the amount of money that mom and dad gave. But I remember that as I got older, as I got a job and, and I started tithing because that's what we did. I couldn't tell you I understood it. But I remember hearing a pastor preach on tithing and on giving for the, the very first time. And I remember being a little bit freaked out because he's really laying it out well. He goes to Malachi and he's talking about how God says, hey, this is what you ought to do. You ought to tithe. And I'm like, what's the tithe? And he explains that it's, it's giving, returning 10% of everything that you make to God's church, and, and he says, that's what it is, and he says, and then tithing predates the law because people say that it was tied up in the law, but you see in the Bible it was before the law, and then it was included in the law, and then Jesus reconfirms it in the New Testament, and it's confirmed again in Hebrews, and I'm going, wow, all that makes sense. Then he gets to the part that freaked me out. He says, and if you don't tithe, you're robbing God. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said the following publicly before, but I'm getting ready to. If you've ever stolen anything, like, actually, I don't mean stolen from a person. I mean, like, from an organization or something. Like, where they would actually, you know, send you to jail or call the cops. That'll freak you out, man. When I was a kid, there was a CD that I wanted. And me and my buddy walked into Kmart, down, just down the road here. Walked into Kmart. I saw that CD. I was like, sure would like to have that. He said, well, let's get it for you. We walked into the bathroom. He ripped the sensor off the CD case and tucked it down the front of our clothes. And we walked out the front doors. I stole from Kmart. Some of you are getting ready to leave the church, and I understand that. I don't blame you. I stole, and I remember him reaching into the front of his coat. We were just in the parking lot, and he goes, and he hands it to me like this, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Grabbed that thing as fast as I could and tucked it into my jacket. I was panicked, man. I was paranoid. 
Popo was coming to get me. And that same feeling overwhelmed me the first time I heard that the pastor said, if you don't tithe, you're robbing God. I'm like, oh, dear. I better make sure that I tithe like to the nth degree that I make sure I don't miss that. I remember fear overwhelmed me, and it became something I did because I was compelled to. It was only later in my life that I learned that it wasn't that we were robbing God by not giving him our money. God doesn't need our money. The God who flung the stars into the heavens by speaking needs your money. I learned he was after my heart. And that tithing becomes a, a part of testing your heart. He was after me, and the, the, the area in which I was robbing God was not robbing him with money. I was robbing him of an opportunity to bless me. See, the verse continues on and says that he'll pour out, test him, and he'll pour out a blessing that you can't even contain it. I learned, and I was like, wow. And from that day forward, I made sure that I tithed until the uh, time that I wasn't following Christ. And that was one of the biggest things that when I came to C3, the church where I was sat with my pastor, I said, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to serve, don't even talk to me about tithing. That's not going to happen. But as God began to work on my heart, that area of my life began to change. But I remember that feeling. The tithing, what it did over the years is it's, it's taught me to build my faith and my trust in God. To build the, the, my faith that God can do more with the 90% that he allows me to keep than the 100% that I choose to keep myself. That he can bless me. It's taught me to steward my money, to steward my time and my finances better. It has made me a stronger individual as a result. It's built my trust in him because I've learned that he is a God of abundance. He is a God of abundance. And because of that, because of that impact in my personal life, we believe it strongly around here. In fact, we believe in tithing so much around here that we offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you choose to tithe and God doesn't bless you in the first 90 days, you can tell me and I will give you all your money back. I ain't scared. I believe that God will bless you. We believe in it. Some of you are shaking your head. I'm not sure if you can't believe I just said that or if you're like, man, that's smart. I'm not sure, but either way. I've learned to, to have an abundance mindset. How has this impacted me in practical ways? Well, one of the ways is two words, rounding up. In my personal life, when I go out and I'm, I'm spending time with people, if I'm to pay somebody or tip somebody, I just round up. Some of you guys are, are careful calculators. I'm a, I'm a like, dude, I don't want to even get into 15 or 16 or 17% tipping. I'm just going to do the 20. You know what I'm saying? That is easier numbers for me. I round up and I'm just, and I'm just going to tip that way. I, I remember I do this with the pizza guy too. If a pizza is, you know, $15 or, or $14, so I'll just hand him a 20 and say, just just go. I just want to be a blessing to you. Now, how many of you know when you order a pizza, the pizza guy comes to the front door, he gives you your pizza, you give him the cash, end of transaction, he is gone, right? Isn't that about right? Guess what? My pizza guy, when he comes, he spends five to ten minutes on my doorstep. You know why? Because he was overwhelmed by a tip that he received one day. His name is Jeff. I know my pizza guy's name. I didn't know it before. See, how many pizzas do you order? Let me just turn this way. But Jeff stands on my, on my front porch and we talk and I, I share with Jeff what we're doing here at this church. My prayer is for Jeff that because of a moment of generosity that Jeff will come to know Jesus. I believe that. I'm praying for Jeff. I chose to round up. Just round it up. This impacts me when, I write, when we write our, our offerings off to any organization or any group. I just round up. Whatever I committed to, I just round it up. You could do this simply. If you're going to give somebody a shirt, make sure it's clean and, you know, dry cleaned. If you're going to give somebody a car, make sure it's clean and gas. Like, just whatever that looks like in your world as you are generous, just round up. 
this idea of abundance will begin to invade your life and you won't be worried about whether you have anymore. Now, I'm not telling you to walk out and give everything you've got away because goodness knows you have bills to pay, but, I'm, but you can round up in these ways. Develop a culture of generosity. You know, if you're going to give a Nickelback album, give it with a bottle of Pepto-Bismol because goodness, goodness knows you're going to get sick as you listen to it because we all know that it's better to give a Nickelback album than it is to receive one. It's better. We need a culture of generosity. As a church, a new church plant, and you, you all don't know the business end of this thing, so I share it with you, but as a new church plant, you're not expected to give. You're expected to be a baby, you're, and babies take. Babies consume. Babies grow. They take in as much as they can so that they can grow, and as a new church plant, you're not expected to give for the first two years. They don't expect you to give to missionaries. They don't expect you to give back to church planting or anything. And I said, no, we are going to begin this church with a culture of generosity. So from day one, even the initial funds that were given to us, we tithed on them as a church. We tithe every month on every dollar that comes into this building, 10% plus goes out the doors back to missions. And we said from day one, that is the way we were gonna be. One of the first things we targeted was the Heart Food Pantry. As a church, we said we are going to give to them. How much are we gonna do? 2% of that 10% goes straight to, or 2% total of every dollar that comes in goes straight to the Heart Food Pantry every month. When I shared that with them, they were blown away. They said, you know, churches give to us on a regular basis, but there's not a single church that has made a plan to bless us every single month. You're the first one ever include us in your budget. Really? Seems odd. When we started as a church, as soon as the first day we opened, I started looking for missionaries so that we could begin to give to missionaries. Our first missionary came through, and we decided to give an entire week income of income to those missionaries. They came and said, every dollar given today goes to the Van Leuvens. The Van Leuvens were blown away to receive every dollar that our church had to give that day. We've done that multiple times for missionaries. We want to be generous. And God over the years has continued to meet every single one of our needs. There's not a single need that isn't met in this church. And we continue to be able to bless. We've taken on more and more missionaries, more and more groups to support more organizations over time. We've continued to do it. Last year, we had Gary Fowler here from the Ohio Church Multiplication Network. We gave away an entire week of giving that day to him as well. Hey, take it. Go plant other churches. Christmas Eve, we took up an offering. We said, hey, we're going to take up this offering, and we're going to give it to needs in our community. Let me tell you, that was a godsend because we've been able to bless people in our community already with it. And, and it was almost to the penny exactly what we needed in order to be a blessing to those people. $8 shy. That was it. $8 shy, and I'm still talking to him about that. Just kidding. We want to have a culture of generosity as a church. We also support an organization called Mossy Foot. Mossy Foot helps people that, that have something, a form of elephantitis. Their feet swell, and it's very painful because of, of, of insect or mosquito bites, I believe, that in Ethiopia. And not only are they helping them medically, but these, this organization, we support them financially every month. They take them and they teach them job skills. They lend them money. They show them how to set up businesses so that they can grow and prosper. This is what this church is doing. I'm aware you're not aware of all these things, and so I'm sharing them with you. But not only is Masifut doing that, but they are ministering to them spiritually and investing in their lives as well. Every year so far, we have had our hand in funding and supporting other church plants. Legacy Church, Summit Creek, Blank Slate, these are three. How old are we? Almost three. Every year we take part in supporting and funding and being generous 
as a church to help other works get going. We also give away Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we give away. Why? Because we want to be generous. There's so many people's lives who have been impacted because somebody gave them a Bible. Why do all this? Because generosity opens doors for spiritual conversations. We talk about it quite often. We call it being the shiny, where we are the light on the hill that people look to in a dark place. We are the shiny. And when you are generous with what you have, with what God has given you, it causes people to look at you and go, what is different about you? It causes you to become exactly what Jesus intended us to be, which is the shiny. And when people see that, they turn their eyes to him and they glorify God. They give their lives to him. That's what happens. So I want to encourage you all today to become irrationally generous. If you're here today and you don't like me, fine. I would encourage you to find a local church that you do like. Find a place that you can give to, that you can tithe to, that you can support. Why? Because I believe that God's local church is the avenue to make the greatest impact in the world today. I believe that. I would encourage you to find a place where you can connect because there is a world that is desperate and dying and needs Jesus. And as the church, we can be part of that. Entire communities can be changed because of your irrational generosity. When you give of your time, when you give of your resources, when you give of your talents, your gifting, your money, you can change the world. When we look at the first church in Acts, when we see God's people, this is the first one that formed after Jesus left this earth. The people were irrationally generous. It says that they took what they had and they sold it. And they brought money in so that every need among them could be met. And what's funny is, is that statement is there in Acts, but there aren't individual stories. Like I shared some individual stories today of generosity that has happened. There are not any individual stories recorded there of somebody giving, like somebody needed a table or somebody needed food. Like they don't share any of that. The only individual story that's recorded in Acts regarding that first church and generosity, the only thing that's recorded there was one story. And it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And that record was not of their generosity. See, Ananias and Sapphira were trying to be counted among them that were generous, but they were not. They went and sold some of their property and they took a part of that money and they held it back, but they came to the church and said, here's the money from the sale. Here it is. It wasn't required that they do that. But when they did that, they fell down dead. And Luke, the author of Acts, looked at that and said, well, that's different. I'm going to include that story. The reason that there's no other stories like individual stories of irrational generosity is because it was the norm. It's just how they treated each other. It's how they loved each other. In description of them in Acts 4, 33, it says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in where? In them all. In them all. That there were no needy persons among them. I see a church where people believe that what we have belongs to God. I see a church that believes it's better to give than it is to receive. I see a church of people that generosity 
begins with their tithe and goes beyond that. Why? Because the tithe isn't the goal. The tithe is just the beginning. I see a church that believes that. And what we could accomplish if we did, if we lived a life of irrational generosity, a church that is not entitled but believes they are entrusted with God's resources to make a difference, that believes that to whom much is given, much is required. Therefore, as followers of Christ, I believe that it is of utmost import for us to be irrationally generous. Why? Because people will look at us. They will see what is different. They will see our generosity. See what's different. And in that moment, we will share Christ. And their lives will be changed. We will be the shiny. And we will tell them about the God who has given to us so irrationally and has been generous to us. That's what it's all about. This is why we're here. To be the shiny, to share God's love and we can do that in his church, as his church, through a rational generosity. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I would say if you're here today, maybe you, you identified or maybe you ranked yourself somewhere on that scale and say, yeah, I'm a three or I'm a four, Aaron. And I desire to be more generous. I want to be an eight or a nine. No matter where you're at, you say, I desire more. That that scarcity mindset is ingrained in me. Maybe you're even afraid. But you desire to be more generous, to have an abundance mindset, to share in the blessing of making a difference in the lives of others. You desire to have God help you with your time and your resources, to be more generous. If that's you today, I want to just pray for you. And nobody's looking around, but you say, Aaron, that's me. I'm somewhere on that scale, and I want to go to the next level. I want to become more generous. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up and let me know? That's me. Yeah. That's all over the place. That's awesome, guys. Father, I I pray that you would do this work in us. Lord, that we would be a people who respond to your irrational generosity with irrational generosity of our own. Giving and sharing of our time, our talents. Lord, help us to make a plan. Help us to make that margin in our lives so that we can do that so that we can be a people that make an impact on this community and in our world. God, we need your power at work in us to do this because this is so counter to the culture that exists today. It's counter to everything we see on TV. It's counter to what our neighbors are doing. It is against everything that makes sense. But we believe that you have given us an opportunity to make a difference, and we believe that one of the ways we can do it is through being generous, and we need to be that church. So help us do it, God. Others of you are here today, and you would say, Aaron, I'm I'm not a Christ follower. Let me say this to you, that John 3.16 describes the gift that God gave us, the irrational one that he gave us in his son. Because, see, Jesus left heaven. The joys and comforts of that place was born to a virgin, lived here on this earth, faced temptation, faced all the things that you and I faced as a man. He surrendered himself to die a brutal death of torture on a cross. And he rose again. And that same power that rose Christ from the dead is available to you today. For what? To transform you, to make you brand new. The price that he paid 
allows you to receive forgiveness, to be made right with God, to become a son and daughter of his. If you're here today and you say, Aaron, I I need to take advantage of that gift, that love that God put on display in his son, I need to respond to that today. I need to receive Jesus as Lord of my life. If that's you and you're here today, would you say, Aaron, count me in on a prayer. Count me in. I know you're going to pray in a second. Include me on that prayer. Would you just shoot your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. I need to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I'm going to pray this prayer. And I'm I'm going to tell you, we have quite a few people watching by Periscope and those that are listening through our podcast. And I want to speak to you right now. Make the decision. You can join us in this prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can say it in your heart. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. But if you just mean this prayer, Jesus will meet you right where you are. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came, that you died and rose again from the dead. From the dead. Make me brand new, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord of my life. I need you, Jesus. Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that.